Good morning. Good to see you guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, we are in a series. Oh, by the way, if you're new around here, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, uh, this morning. We are, I guess, kind of on the, uh, the, the downslope, I think, of uh, a series entitled How to Create a Counterculture. We started our year off with this. At the beginning of the year, it was really personal. How do you engage the counterculture? How do you become the counterculture? Uh, last couple of weeks, it's been more corporate. How do we do this together uh, as, a, as a church family? And I think last week was kind of like we climbed to the top of the mountain. Uh, and then this week and the next two weeks, we're kind of coming back down on uh, how do we do this now again, a little bit more personal, uh, more public, but personal. Uh, how, how do we uh, live out and create the counterculture in our lives? And so we're going to talk about two things. Um, one thing today, one thing next week, and then we'll have wrapped up our series and move on with everything we got planned for the rest of the year. Today, we're going to ask this question and try to answer it. How do I be a Christian at work? How do I be a Christian at work? And I know all of us, or many of us, we work in like these different work environments. Some of them, they're like these high Christian work environments. Other of us, uh, we work in what we would say, like, this is like a highly pagan uh, Christian, or highly pagan Christian. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, welcome to 2023. Uh, highly pagan work environment. Uh, others of us, we live, most of us, probably like somewhere between, right? And I know, of course, we have uh, people who are retired or, or don't work for whatever reason. And so maybe you're like, well, what does this have to do with me? Most of my points apply to every, uh, every stage and season and part of life. Though I will apply them a little bit more specifically to the work environment. And I get this question a lot. In fact, I would say it's probably the most popular question uh, I get right now in conversations. Like, uh, how do I live out the gospel in work? Stephen, how, how do I be a Christian uh, in this thing of work that I do, uh, you know, every day or five days a week or whatever it might be, uh, particularly in the culture that we live in? And I think sometimes well-meaning, well-intentioned, uh, we, we go in and we hear uh, a sermon maybe by me or somebody else, and, uh, and you get it pumped up, and you get excited, and you show up to work on Monday, and then opportunity comes, and you're like, hey, uh, you're going to hell. You're like, whoa. <laughs> well, Stephen, you told me to be bold, right? It's like, okay, that's, that's fair. I did. Let's talk about how, how do we do this maybe a little better? Um, how do we be Christians at work? And, and so I want to point out a little bit of the counterculture in this and how we can be counterculture cultural in our work environment. And, uh, and, and then also how I think this is just, this is right in the heart of how God created and wired us. I want to start off with a, um, a verse, and then I'll revisit this verse at the end. Uh, the verse is 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Let me read it to you. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let me read it again. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, Paul is writing this, obviously, in some context here, um, referring to the eating and the drinking. But I do think it's, uh, we can apply that saying, even at this, even in what you eat and what you drink, do it for the glory of God. But then beyond that, whatever you do, whatever you're going to spend your life doing, do that for the glory of God. So should I take this job? I don't know. Do it for the glory of God. How should I work when I'm at work? Do it for the glory of God. Is this okay? Do it for the glory of God. Whatever it is you're doing, you're a stay-at-home mom. Do it for the glory of God. 
You're starting a business. Do it for the glory of God. Where should I go next year? What should I do next year? What's my life going to look like? What's going to fill my time? Do it for the glory of God. This is the, the filter that our decisions are made through as Christians is what I'm about to do, is how I am doing this thing, is what I am leading, is what I'm thinking about starting. Is it being done for the glory of God? All things. And of course then, including your work, you can probably think back what your like first job was, right? And, and, and for me, like I have a couple different like first jobs in my mind, right? You know, cutting the lawn or whatever it might be when you were younger. But like, I would say like kind of like my first real job, you know, where I had to be there at a certain time and had to have a certain boss. I was a carny, okay? It's a great first job. And so I was 16 years old and my basketball coach had just started a little business uh, where it was a speed pitch business. And so you, we would set up this metal speed pitch uh, pole and then, you know, they would clock how fast you were throwing. And so it was my job to get people to come into play, right? Uh, and then talk them into playing again and then playing again and then playing again, right? Because I got a cut of how much money we brought in. And uh, the very first event, we get there and we set up and we're setting this thing up. And uh, it was in downtown uh, near one of the Mercy Hospitals, uh, by uh, in a, at a Catholic parish festival. And so we're doing this, and, and here's what happened. The life flight helicopter took off, and as it took off, it took the metal speed pitch machine, picked it up, and threw it across the parking lot and slammed into a car, okay? So it's my first day at work. <laughs> and I was there by myself. So I called my boss, and I said, hey, I got bad news. We only made like 50 bucks today. He goes, man, that is bad news. I said, but wait, I actually have worse news, okay? Uh, the speed fish machine slammed into a car, and he goes, yeah, that is really bad news. And, uh, and so that was a great first day of work. Whatever your first job is, right, or whatever your current job is, or whatever your retirement job is, or whatever work looks like, how do we be Christians when we're in it? And I want to lay out three points this morning that I think will help us understand uh, a little bit about God's perspective on work in general, uh, and, and then uh, furthermore, specifically, then how can we act as followers of Christ? And then I would say this too, particularly point two and three here in this, uh, this is how we are to act as Christians in every sphere of life, of course, not just work. Let me give you my first point. First point is this, understand that both business and work are good, and that money is not evil. In the, the scriptures, uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 26 and 27, God is kind of giving what we would call like the creation mandate, and uh, in part of that, he talks about how uh, man was created then to go fill and subdue the earth. I preached on this uh, a couple of years ago now, but it is this idea that man uh, and woman are, are created to engage. We're created to be a part of something. We're created to work in some way or another, that it is a part of who we are, and we live in a culture right now, uh, and it violates the principles of the scriptures as it relates to work and money uh, in one of two ways. Uh, one of the ways reminds me of a conversation I had a couple of years ago. This was kind of like a pastoral conversation, and the conversation uh, went something like this. The person says simply like, well, one, I just really don't want to work because I hate money like the Bible does. Oh, no, you're very confused. The Bible does not hate money. The, the Bible uh, uh, speaks against what? The love of money. Said, oh, no, no. 
No, the Bible doesn't hate money. In fact, let me go the other way. In Genesis chapter one, God calls seven things good every day at the end of creation. God looks and goes, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. He does it seven times. Then you get into Genesis chapter two in verse 12, and God calls something else good. It's the first and first. They're always important in the scripture. The first thing that God calls good outside of the creation account, you know what it is? Gold. God says the gold of that land was good. Of course, gold, which would become the standard, right? Uh, and when we talk about money, for, for well, really up until now, God calls it good. And we do live in a culture right now that errs on one of two sides. One side is uh, we begin to uh, worship or idolize money. And the, uh, the problem that typically comes underneath that is greed. That's the biblical sin um, that, that is indeed Bad. It is sinful. It is a rejection of God's standard. Here's uh, something that's interesting. The Israelite people, they become enslaved in the land of Egypt, uh, and they were enslaved for 400 years, and then they're freed uh, from their slavery. And as they're freed from their slavery, guess what God sends them out with? All the gold. He says, plunder Egypt. And uh, in other words, go ask all of your neighbors, all of your Egyptian neighbors, and they just pour out all of the, all the gold, and, and they give it to the Israelites. Uh, and, and so it's like God saying, you're not just going to leave Egypt, right, uh, and then go to the promised land. You're going to leave Egypt rich. And they take all the gold with them. So they cross the Red Sea with it. They enter uh, into the wilderness with all of the gold, right? Now, what happens then in the wilderness, they take all of the gold and do what? They turn it into an idol. God says, I want to give you this really good gift. A ton of money. Everybody's rich. And they turn it into an idol and reject him. Now, obviously, guys, God's showing us something there, isn't he? He's showing the human heart. It's going to have this tendency to worship and idolize this good thing that I've given you. Gold, money. He says, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Now, one, one, right, uh, cultural objection right now is that we begin to worship money, uh, work, uh, workaholism, right? Uh, this idea that you can even begin to worship your work, okay? Uh, and you say, well, where's the line in that, Stephen? Well, you know, it's probably uh, understanding, like, has this thing become your identity? Uh, is this the thing that drives you and defines you in your entirety, right? And so that's one cultural, uh, and that's certainly bad, especially when it becomes sinful or idol worship. But here's the other cultural response. Um, it's, it's similar to that conversation I told you I had, um, but it's more of a worldly response uh, that says uh, that money and work are evil. Watch any movie right now. Who's the bad guy? The business owner. And the, the more successful the business is in the movie, the more evil the person is. Watch any movie, any TV show. It's always the business guy. He's the worst. They're, oh, they're evil. And, uh, and there's this idea then in our culture, right, uh, that, that business is evil, that work is evil, uh, that production is evil, uh, that the only way you can become rich, right, is that you must be evil, you must be cheating, you must be stealing, uh, uh, you know, you must be a bad person. And, we, and, and so there's another cultural response uh, on the other side, 
It says, oh, those are the bad people. They own things. And we, and we have uh, in our culture, right, and, uh, and undertow that uh, in a very ungodly way uh, is trying to elevate that idea, uh, right, that business is bad or making money is bad or uh, any level of inequality is evil, right? Uh, and so we're creating or are creating government systems and cultural systems that are trying to despair work. And that's also, it's also unbiblical. So what is Biblical. What is biblical? That work is something we were created to do. That business and creation and innovation were something that we were created to do and that it is good. And what is supposed to be the response of that kind of work? Well, the scripture visits this idea over and over and over in a positive connotation. And it is the idea of sowing and reaping. That if you sow, you will reap. And that if you sow, you should expect to reap. That not only uh, is, is work a godly thing and, uh, and business a godly thing, but that the expectation that when you sow, you should reap some kind of benefit. When I say benefit, I'm not just talking about like feeling good inside. Okay, that's fine too. But some type of financial benefit is actually a God-given feeling. That to work hard and to expect to be fairly compensated is actually how you're wired and created by God. Look at this. And, uh, and, and we're told, oh, that's evil. No, no, no. God says, that's how I made you. Look at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. So I just got to flip one page before. Paul says this. Now, don't get the wrong idea as I read this. I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. Paul says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? Now, the law, sometimes we hear the word law and we go, oh, I hate the law. No, no, no. When you see the law in the, in the New Testament, you need to think, doesn't God's word, or if you want to take this step further, doesn't God's plan for the best way to live? Because that's what the law is. It's just God's plan for the best way to live. Does not the law stay the same? For it is written in the law, right, of Moses, you shall not, this is the quote, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, end quote. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Paul's like, did, did God write that because he like, really cares about the ox? Okay, sure, to one extent, but more. He says, does he not certainly speak for our sake? Now, the R there is, uh, he's saying for, for humans, right? He's teaching us a human principle. And what is the human principle? Uh, it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. In other words, you should work with a hope and an expectation of sharing in the benefits, the financial benefits of what is created. He says you should do that. That's how you should operate. He goes on to say this. If we have some spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Now, this is what I'm saying. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. Okay. This is actually particularly talking about people that are in what we would label modern day ministry, like church ministry or whatever. He's actually saying, uh, it's even true if you work in ministry, um, that if you work, if you're successful, if you, if you plow correctly, if you reap all of these things, uh, that you should expect some type of financial reward or benefit from that. Now, if it is true in a ministry standpoint, how much more true is that outside of it? He says, this is how you're wired. And so what does it look like to be a Christian at work? 
a Christian businessman, a Christian innovator, a Christian manager, a Christian employee, whatever. It is to understand that this is good and godly. Jesus taught in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 37 parables. Get this, 32 of them mention some type of work, spanning 22 different occupations. Out of those 32, I believe the number is 27, of 25 of those, uh, identify work as like the main part of the parable. Over and over, we see the value and the beauty of work and creation. And then we see in the scriptures the expectation then of financial gain as a result of that. And that is good. It's good. It's godlike. That's step one. How do we be a Christian at work? What about step two? What about step two? Have integrity in all things. That's step two. Have integrity in all things. Let me read to you Leviticus 19, 11. It says this. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Let me read it again. Leviticus 19, 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Now, this takes a, a little bit of uh, stepping back for a second and saying, okay, how do I apply this verse into the context of what I'm doing? How do, how do you apply it into your, uh, if you're the guy who's taking orders, right? Uh, or if you're the guy who's giving or the girl's giving orders, right? Or again, if you're a stay-at-home mom, whatever it might be, even if you're tired. Like, what does this look like uh, to not steal and to not deal falsely and to not lie to one another, to have integrity in all things? I would say the first part of it is this. That whatever you're doing in life, whatever season you're in life, that part of not stealing is to wake up and to work hard every single day. That if God, right, calls work good and this creation good, right, then to wake up every day and to have integrity is to say, God, I'm not going to steal the time that you've given me. I'm going to leverage it, and I'm going to use it, right, to be about what you're asking me to be about and to wake up and to work hard every single day, particularly in our work context, friends. We have to see that to be a Christian who practices integrity in our work environment, sometimes we think it's this, like, oh, I want to be a Christian at work, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to wear a T-shirt that sets everybody off. I'm going to read my Bible at my desk. Oh, Stephen, you will not believe this. My boss told me I can't read my Bible anymore. That's because you were supposed to be working. You're stealing when you're doing that. In that moment, I want you to know, you are being more ungodly than your pagan boss. Not stealing is waking up every day and going to work because it's God-given. And because in that moment, you have an agreement with somebody that you're being compensated to produce the value that they're asking you to produce and to produce it. Another way uh, sometimes we steal, by the way, is this, is that uh, we'll say, well, I'm going to go do this because I like kind of doing this at work, okay, but I know it's not what they've asked me to do, but I like doing it, right? No, 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 you're getting paid for the value of what they're asking you to produce, to align it with their goals and their, and their company because you're within the context of that. Another way, it says here, it says, don't deal falsely. 
And one way we can begin to feel falsely and lack integrity in all things uh, is that we can overinflate ourselves in our head. And, and we're actually dealing falsely. Oh, yeah, this is just, this is killing me. Yep, that's it. No, that's a 50-hour project. In your head, you're like, I'm going to work for three hours. And I got 47 to do whatever I want. Now, listen. You have a bad manager who doesn't know how to fill your time and all of this kind of stuff, right? Like there's, there's a level, right, of understanding here. But dealing falsely is not overinflating. Having integrity, right? I, I was in a work environment once, okay, and I, I legitimately had about five hours worth of work a week. Some of you are like, I know, Stephen, you're a pastor. You always are in that, okay? All right. Um, let's talk about this job. Talk about it. I was in an office job, and uh, I had to be in the office 40 hours a week, and I legitimately had about five hours of work a week. So one of the things I would do is I would get up, and I would go to other departments, and I would begin to help in there. But eventually, they would look, and they go, you know, when you come in here and you do our work, then we don't have anything to do. So go back to your desk. I'm like, okay, fine, right? Okay, so then I would go back there, and ask my, my boss, my manager, is there anything else I can do? Is there anything else I can do? No, 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 no. I'm like, you guys are like... Like, I, I, I worked five hours a week, right? Uh, and so eventually what I did is I was like, well, I'm just going to have a really good attitude because at least I can produce value in that way. And then when I actually ended up leaving that, one of my supervisors said to me, you know, um, you know I, and he kind of acknowledged, he said, I know you didn't really have much to do, but, but I'm glad that you brought a great attitude every day um, because it turned the morale around in our environment a little bit. So I said, okay, well, then that's the value I can bring in this moment. And to deal falsely, right, is at times to say, oh, yeah, I'm just so big. I'm so taxed. I'm so this. I'm so that, right? No, no, you understand. Now, again, there's an agreement there. They have a responsibility to, to give you more work if you're asking for it and all of that kind of stuff. So I get that there's limits within this. But you know where it crosses the line of lacking integrity or having integrity. Have integrity in all things. Work hard every single day. You're getting compensated for that day. Here's another one. Be faithful with the little things. Matthew 25, 23. Matthew 25, 23. Let me hop over to that. But it's a famous uh, parable that talks about uh, Jesus. Is, he's talking a lot about work. He's drawing comparisons to working in the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and although there's a, there's a heavenly meaning in this story, we, we, we don't have to negate the practical implications of the story. Matthew 25, 23 says this. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Having integrity is being faithful with the little things that God has given you right then. And at every stage of life, by the way, we always have to look and say, what I have right now is, in God's eyes, the little thing that he's given me. Because at any time, God can give much bigger than what you currently have. And uh, if we ultimately see that it is God who gave us the, the ability to do this work and God has opened up the opportunities, uh, that uh, how we honor him and what he has given us right then and there is uh, one of the indicators of whether or not God is going to release more. And so where we start, right, is just being faithful with the little. Again, and the little is whatever it is that he's given you right now, right here. And we know this as you get older, as you advance, as you grow, whatever, that little, right, gets bigger, but it's the little compared to what bigger could be. Where do we start? You're faithful with the little. 
And one of the ways that we as Christians can have integrity in our work environments and what we do is say, no matter what I have right now, I am going to make it awesome. And we see that there's actually something in here, that it is actually ungodly, unbiblical, and almost unjust for somebody, a leader, a business owner, or whatever it might be, to give more to someone who has not been faithful with the little. It's actually unbiblical to do that. When I would add on to this too, there's something wrong in our heart if we're desiring and asking more. I want to do this, I want to do that. And we haven't yet mastered, we haven't yet been faithful, we haven't yet done the best with the little that we've been given. We start there. I'll say it this way. There's not an owner of a company, there's not a businessman, there's not a good one anywhere who doesn't want to give more. Who doesn't want to give more? Who doesn't want to pay more to somebody, right? Because uh, as an owner, the owner always says, I'll pay you more because if I'm paying you more, that means you're making more for us. The, um, almost every business owner, every manager, every whatever, right? Like a uh, good one, right? They, they exist in an environment where they realize the better you do, the more I want to give you. Now you say, well, why? that's not the work environment that I, that I work in. Well, okay, um, first off, there's two things. One, okay, then maybe that's a moment to stop and say, okay, the principle of sowing and reaping doesn't seem to apply here, and so now I want to think through that. But uh, on the other side, I would say this. Maybe you're overinflating your own value, okay? Because I can say to somebody who's, who, who uh, runs things or, or manages people or whatever, I always want to pay my people more. I always want to give them more if it's producing the value, right? And so be faithful with what God has given you. Let me take a little step. This is not an aside, but I think it's also relevant. Let me also talk about this in the context of the house real quick, okay? One of the reasons, um, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I I love my wife so much, um, our our first house, it was uh, 841 square feet. Okay, and uh, and then for a time it was me and uh, Lindsay and and then and then Reagan in that in that little house. And um, my wife made that little house so amazing. Uh, and at the time that we sold it, all right, uh, and this was before things got crazy, right? By the time we sold it, we got like a higher price per square foot than like anyone had gotten in Perrysburg. Why? Because she was so faithful with that house. The, the, the design she did to it, the cleanliness of it. And can I say something, by the way, um, particularly to stay-at-home moms? I want you to know that the scriptures indicate that the level of success you have in your being a stay-at-home mom will directly impact the influence and income potential of your husband. The scriptures teach us that in Proverbs that how you operate in the home will have a direct impact on the influence, income, and success of your husband. I, I want to take a second here. I don't want to. I don't want to be. I understand there's a lot of context in here, okay? But I want to say this too: that 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 um, ladies, you have an unbelievable, unbelievable opportunity um, to help your husband succeed in, in work by how you manage the house. These things are tied together scripturally. Why? Because you guys are partners, right? Because you're partners in that. And so what an opportunity to be faithful with what you have. Be faithful with what you have. And part of integrity then is is just taking on what God has given you right now, owning it, mastering it, and then moving on. 
one of the best bosses I ever had. I made the mistake once of asking for more. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, I will tell you when you are ready for more. He said, yes, sir. <laughs> and six months later, he came back and he said, you are. And he gave it, right? Be faithful with what you have right now. Let me give you another one, uh, a, a third way, right, that we have integrity in all things. Matthew 5.37, Matthew 5.37 says this, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, comes from evil. In other words, how do you have integrity in all things? Be a person of your word. Be a person of your word. If you say it, do it. If you said you wouldn't do it, don't do it. If you said you're going to be there at that time, be there. If you said you worked those amount of hours, work them. If you said you weren't going to do that thing, don't do that thing. Be a person of your word. I can't imagine, I mean, I probably can't, but one of the worst uh, Christian witnesses uh, is for anyone to look and go, yeah, that person says things, but I know I don't trust or believe what they say. That as a Christ follower, that if you say it, live up to it. One of the, um, one of the ways I think uh, this plays out or, or that, that I've seen frequently, whether it's in church or business or whatever, uh, is that sometimes you have to have these conversations where you go back and you, you, you ask this question, not what, is, uh, not what is fair in that sense, but you have to go back and you go, what was said? What was said? And I've had to have moments with, with people uh, in my life where they go, but Stephen, you said that. And I look and I go, yeah, but. Okay, but no, that, but that's what I said. And in that moment, whether it's a, even me taking a hit, right, I'm going to live up to what I said over to what, uh, uh, you know, well, this financial thing or that whatever. No, 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 what did I say? You're right, I'm going to go back to it. By the way, this makes you a lot wiser in what you say, doesn't it? And sometimes you've gotten burned, and so you go, next time I'm going I'm to step in, but I'm going to add this little line at the end. And there may be circumstances that make us change a bit the agreement that we have right now. Why? Because then you've said that. Now, don't just say that as a blanket statement and use it to be corrupt, okay? But there are moments when you have to go back and you have to go, you know what? You're right. That's what I said. And there's wisdom in that. Friend, be willing to take a financial hit to preserve your integrity, Be willing to take a bit of a financial hit to preserve your integrity. Why? Let me read James 5 for you. Well, I'll just tell you, then I'll read James 5. It's all going to pass away. Right? Your integrity, your character, your heart, that's something that's going to last. Right? James 5, um, by the way, is another way. Um, uh, I'll get to James 5 in a second. Let's move on. Number three. Third way, third way, uh, how do I be a Christian at work is this. You leverage your platform for the kingdom. You leverage your platform for the kingdom. And everyone's platform is different, right? And, uh, and by the way, I would say this is true in every part of our life. So even if you don't work, you're retired, right? Whatever your platform is right now is your status. It's your stage in life right now. And you leverage it for the kingdom. In other words, you look in and you go, the particular stage that I'm in right now, how do I best leverage this for the kingdom? And in a work environment, you ask yourself, how do I best leverage the current platform that I have for the kingdom? I'm the low guy on the totem pole. How do I leverage that for the kingdom? Uh, you be the hardest 
working, most smiley, bring the energy, uh, don't gossip, don't slander, uh, be the helpful person uh, that has ever been in that position. That's how, right? Or you're, you're the, the middle manager, and you're like, how do I leverage my platform for the kingdom right now? I, I do it by protecting those who are ahead of me, right, and preserving uh, their character, uh, not engaging in God, and by loving and serving the people that I can manage to the best of the ability within the context that I find myself in. Right? Or you're the owner, and uh, you're in charge. You're the decision maker, and you're asking yourself the question, how do I, now that God has brought me to this point, right? how do I be faithful with little? You leverage that platform for the kingdom of God. And I will say this. Uh, if you're following the Lord, what tends to be true right, uh, is that as you leverage your platform for the kingdom, God is good at promoting those who leverage their platform for the kingdom. But I'll also say this. Some of the most powerful people are those who don't get promoted in the practical sense, but they leverage the platform that they have been given for the kingdom of God, and they have an impact beyond the practical platform that they've been given. And some of you, that might be it. Maybe you're never the president or the CEO. Maybe you're never making all the big money. Maybe you're just, you're in that role, right? And, and, and all of that, but you carry almost like a spiritual gravitas around where you're at because you've learned to leverage it for the kingdom. And maybe it doesn't result in the, in the financial gain, right, that you would, you, you would want it to, right? But you realize there's a different currency as well, the currency of the kingdom, love and grace being poured out. Leverage your platform for the kingdom. I do want to talk to those who are decision makers for a moment on one particular way we do this, and that is, I would say, to be as generous as you can be and not just financial generosity, um, but, but gracious, generous. Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember what it was like when you were that person on the, the bottom, when you were starting, when you were working hard, when, uh, when, when uh, month and dollar didn't always line up the way you wanted it to. Remember that. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your employee as yourself. Love the vendor as yourself and look and say, how do I show the gospel of grace and the gospel of generosity? Uh, James, right, this is Jesus' brother, okay, uh, writes this as a warning. Uh, really, I think it's like a warning to, to modern business owners. Okay, let me read it real quick. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Okay. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. Get this. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Now, some people will inappropriately grab these three verses and say, see, God hates rich people. God hates business owners. God hates creators. God hates innovators. God hates, God hates, God hates. No, no, no. You got to keep reading. What does God hate? Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. Woo! 
with great gain, with great platform, comes great responsibility. Leverage it for the kingdom. Leverage it for the kingdom. And so I think part of that is sitting back and go, okay, yeah, I get it. There's future expenses, and you're saving up for the, this, and the taxes are going up, and all of these things. I get it, I get it, I get it. Within the context of what I'm doing, how generous can I be? And to evaluate that and to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to err on the side of grace. I'm going to err on the side of generosity. Okay, one last way. One last way, and I think this will hit everybody, uh, that we show integrity in this. Uh, Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. This is a great verse, I would, uh, particularly those of you who work in work environments, and you're like, I don't know how to live out the gospel in this work environment. Even you, like, you can't even believe it. It's so hostile, and I got to use the pronouns now, and everything else, and this is going on, and that. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such is good for building up. Okay, yep, I get that. Okay, look at this next line. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When your team is sitting around having a marketing strategy, it doesn't fit the occasion to say, yeah, I think we should go with that type of advertisement. Also, your son is going to help. doesn't fit the occasion. Oh, Stephen, you told me to be bold, and I was so bold. Last week in this meeting, this girl came in, and she, she was telling me her pronoun, and I looked back at her, and I said, there's only two. Did that fit the occasion? You know what the next line is? It says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is not contradictory to what I have spoken of before. This is understanding it in full context and picture. That we have conversation and we have work environment and we are to speak into what fits the occasion. A couple of years ago, I was involved in an organization and you had to sign a covenant contract or whatever uh, to be involved in it. And so I get it and I'm reading through it and there was a line in there that I knew I would not live up to. And so you know what I did? I crossed it off. I initialed it, and then I signed the bottom of it, and I turned it in. There were 20 points I had crossed one of them out. And when I turned it in, I said, I just want you to know, I crossed off number 14. I can't do it. If that means I can't participate, I understand. And if you need me to exit, I will willingly do so. But I also need you to know, I can't do that. How do you tell the difference? You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And you have to look and say, what fits this occasion? Creating, I hate using this word, a toxic work environment because you're trying to root out all the pagans. Doesn't fit the occasion. Yes, yes. Speak the truth but make it fit the occasion. Let me take a step further. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Could you make this and apply this in such a way that if it doesn't fit the occasion, that if you're saying something, it's actually corruptive talk? 
I know this is going to make some of your all's head explode. Is it possible, is it possible that the Christian in the work environment who isn't making a fuss about every policy but is faithfully working hard and is faithfully loving and engaging with his coworker and neighbor who disagrees is actually being more godly than the person waving the petition, waving the flag and saying, this is wrong and you're evil and all of this, according to this verse, as fits the occasion. I know, I don't want some of you to walk out today. Now I'm so confused, Stephen. Do I not talk up? Do I speak up? Yes. And let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let him lead you. And may your conversation always fit the occasion. How do you know? Because it gives grace to those who hear. That's how you know. It gives grace to those who hear. And so maybe it is a one-on-one conversation later. Air Air game, ground game. Air game, ground game. Air game, I can stand on stage on a Sunday morning and say, that's a sin, that's a sin, that's a sin. Culture is corrupt, whatever. Why? Because it fits the occasion. It does. Ground game is when I'm sitting down with somebody one-on-one, and they say, man, I'm going through this, or I'm struggling with this, and I sit there. And now the conversation I want to have with that person is something that fits the occasion, and it will bring grace when they hear it. If the way you're going about it is never producing grace on the other end, you may not be going about it in the best way. Let the Holy Spirit, let him work, let him guide you, let him direct you in this. Okay, let me end where I started. In the end, what do we do? We do all for the glory of God. I would say this, if you want to be a bold person for Christ, wear your servant's clothing to work. Don't get on your pedestal, bring your wash rag. If you want to be bold for Christ, stand for church, or truth, weird, and do it in the right context. The origin or etymology of the word profession, have you ever heard this? You know where it came from? The word profession came out of this idea that whatever you were doing occupationally was the way you professed the goodness of God. Isn't that great? So when you would go around, you wouldn't just ask someone, hey, what's your profession? In other words, how do you make money? You would ask them, no, no, what is your profession? How is it that God has called you to profess his goodness and grace? Oh, I do it through banking. I do it through cleaning up after people. I do it through teaching. I do it through this thing I started. I do it through this. That's how I profess God's goodness and grace through that thing. Do all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friends because this is it. Waking up, going to work every day. Waking up, taking care of those kids, cleaning the house. Waking up, 
of being retired and thinking, what do I do today to leverage the platform? All so that we might bring the gospel of grace. Also that we might know and have wisdom on what fits the occasion so that the gospel can break in. And so, Father, I pray for wisdom and boldness. I pray for winsomeness and grace. I pray for integrity in all things for each one of us. And that as we do that, that it would bring out the gospel. Uh, I pray that, at least in our circle, Christians would be known as the hardest working, most integrity-filled people. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.